Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Now, I mentioned a few times that in May, I'm going up to Detroit to check out my Tigers in Comerica Park, and I can guarantee you that my sister and I will be using SeatGeek to get some prime seats for those games. SeatGeek is the only place I ever go to look for tickets anymore, whether I'm going to a game or a concert. I got the app on my phone, and I've been using it just kind of scout some things out, get, get a good feel for it before I purchase my tickets for May. And honestly, what SeatGeek has done is they've taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all available tickets on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Now, our listeners will get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate, though, all you got to do is go download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code. Enter promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SLEEPER. Sleeper in the bus. It is Wednesday, May 4th, Star Wars Day, as they say. You know, may the 4th be with you. I hate myself for opening like that. <laughs> I, I won't dignify it then. I appreciate that. You, re- you really shouldn't. Um, <laughs> it is Wednesday, May 4th, though. I didn't lie about that. We're here to talk baseball. It's going to be fun. We're doing kind of a, a free free-flowing episode today we just i just started kind of reeling off guys that we wanted to talk about there's no through line to them but they're all kind of interesting guys uh we promised at least one mailbag and, and we will answer a mailbag question as well that's how we're going to end the show uh today so as always reach us on twitter at sport at eno Saris, at jason collette please rate and review the podcast on itunes we are nine reviews away from 500 Really appreciate that. We are still tracking at a five-star. All the recent reviews have been five stars, and, I, and we really, really, really appreciate it. We're waiting to see in the next couple weeks if we will be nominated for a podcast award. Uh, I think they're going to be releasing that in three weeks, actually. And we'll let you know if that is the case. Then we will ask you again for a little bit of your time to vote for us. But uh, fingers crossed that we even get nominated in the sports category. But, you know, let's just dive right in, man. We got, we got, we got things to do. We are busy gentlemen today, so we got to get up. We got to get going and start talking about these players. And the first one is one I'm very interested to hear you talk about because I don't think we've really given him much because, I don't know, let's, let's be honest. Everyone, not, I, I, I'm going to lump everyone else in too, except for you Cardinals fans out there, I'm sure. But most of us, we're, we're saying this isn't going to really last beyond 5, 10 games anyway. Now it's 25 games and Aledmus Diaz is the best player in the universe. He has just uh, a mere 196 WRC+, plus, five homers, 14 extra base hits in all out of his 31 hits, 20 
runs scored on that electric Cardinals offense, 14 ribbies. He's even chipped in a stolen base, a 388 average. He is out of his mind, Oledmus Diaz is. And an interesting thing about him that I kind of missed because we were there and, and we didn't see, any, see him or say anything about him, he was in the Arizona Fall League putting up big numbers. And that's usually a little bit of a proving ground where if you if you have success there, it's not always automatic that you're, you're going to be good in the majors or even get up. But that's kind of the last step for a lot of guys. And then they come up to the majors. So what's going on with Aledmus Diaz and how believable is it that this 25-year-old non-prospect, I don't believe he was ever really a prospect, is going to be a legitimate uh, fantasy shortstop in all formats all season long? I mean, the, the obvious question is that we don't know where he's going to play when everyone's healthy. Yeah, because you know? they're, they're Peralta, how much longer for Peralta? It can't be too much longer, right? Yeah, you know, I, 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 I know that he's uh, gripping a bat and, uh, and working his way back, but um, uh, and now he's even doing fielding drills. So I, I think that uh, he should be able to come back soon. But you know they're not going to put down a guy, uh, you know, put a guy on the bench like this. Um, if anything, I would think until he cooled down, it could be like a 60-40 situation. I just I, I can't imagine a team that would want to sit this guy down in the, in the run of his life. It's it's unbelievable. Uh, I mean, yeah. I think the question is like you know how how real it is. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and as a righty, you know, there is a natural platoon situation for him at second, where you know his defense isn't exactly lauded by everybody, and he was actually left off their roster, so. You know, they as a team, if he had been a great defender at short, they would have kept him on their 40-man team uh, at any at any point, um, you know, just as a shortstop, you know. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't so, have tried to get Ruben Tejada maybe when because uh, they signed him basically to be the defensive caddy. Right. So they in Diaz's. Yeah, they would have had him. They would have had him in the majors, you know, instead of leaving him off their 40-man. So. Uh, you know, then you start to look at second base and you say, okay, Colton Wong is not doing it right now. Uh, maybe it's 60-40 with Colton Wong. I guess that's what you're really suggesting. Yeah. Uh, except that Colton Wong is the lefty and Diaz is the righty, um, which seems meaningful. And also on top of that, you know, when you look at what Wong's doing right now, I mean, really what's missing is the power. I don't think that, you know, he's swinging less, he's reaching less. Uh, you know, he is striking out a little bit too much but that's probably because he's trying to you know show a good walk rate he's probably trying to be really selective right now but in terms of swinging strike rate um you know nothing's really out of whack just the you know maybe a few too many ground balls and uh and um you know maybe a little bit too much patience but uh that should work itself out and i think i doubt that colton wong is done i i i would definitely agree there i mean we're talking about a 25 year old who did, who you know, was a big prospect coming up, and and big things have been expected. Does have two, one full season and another fullish season, 433 plate appearances of about league average work, you know, just a little bit below league average, which isn't too bad at 23-24. I mentioned this a lot, but we got spoiled on all these great rookies that anytime a, a prospect comes up and isn't electric out of the gate, we're like, well, that guy sucks. Let's just move on from him, and you know, that's not the case. Yeah. I mean, I, and then back to Diaz, the thing is, like, he really, he's making, he's not, he's making a ton of contact. But it's, uh, in terms of swinging strikes, he's about average. So there is a little bit of a disconnect there. He's not like, a, when Simmons came up and had, like, a 9% strikeout rate, 
Simmons had like a 3% swing strike rate. He just, you know, made contact on everything. Diaz has like a regular swinging strike rate, 9.1%, and a, his strikeout rate is lower than a swinging strike rate. I mean, that just, you don't see that. He has an, Lebanese Diaz has an obscene, it is literally obscene, 43% hard contact for two. He's, he's just stinging the ball every time he, he hits it. So, you know, the projection systems have him going back to about a league average strikeout rate. And that's going to be a problem for the rest of his line in terms of batting average on base percentage because, you know, he's been traditionally been a guy who doesn't walk much. So I think that's what they sort of saw in his line is here's a guy who's going to strike out league average or worse. He's not going to get us the walks. He's not going to have defense at, at short, and he may not offer a ton of defense at second. Um, and, uh, it, you know, so w- when he goes back to that strikeout rate, that regular strikeout rate, and he's not walking, and I think then he becomes a platoon right-handed guy. I mean, I just – I know that he made an adjustment in this AAA where he wasn't striking out, but it was only 58 plate appearances in AAA. Yeah, it was so I'm not saying that he's Memorex. I'm not saying that, you know, he doesn't have any skills. It looks like he has some good power, actually, and uh, maybe a decent combination of power and contact skills. Um, So maybe he can, you know, do better than his rest of season strikeout rate. But I still think kind of like 260, 300, 420, like how the projections say, that's about who he is. And I think that they're going to use him when Wong starts getting going. I think they're going to use him basically in a platoon with Wong, Backup, uh, shortstop, maybe backup third base, uh, sort of situation like that. What's up with the? It's just proven Tejada off the roster, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think that that's that's fair. What's up with the eight infield hits that leads baseball for for Diaz? Is um, is is that just a uh, kind of a luck, kind of a weird luck thing, or does he have some speed that's not necess- that doesn't necessarily show up in stolen base numbers because he has a career high of eleven. And that was back as a 20-year-old in Cuba. Um, as a minor leaguer, it's been seven, which was in 47 games. But uh, he was six for 12 last year between double and triple A. So we haven't seen any real speed on the base pads necessarily, but yeah. infield hits. But, you know, to kind of counter my own point before you even answer it, Hunter Pence and Chris Bryant both have seven behind him. And they're they're not slow, but they're certainly not burners either. So Well, Pence, Pence whatever, whatever skill it is, it's one that Pence has. I mean, Pence is always leading the league in, in, in infield hits. It's, it's those hits in the hole where the, where the shortstop just really can't do anything. And those are hard hits. And again, and I mean, enough speed, you yeah. know, a little bit more speed than you would, you would think from the stolen base, you know, standpoint. So yeah, I think there is something there. Um, Everything's clicking for a Also, he's a right-hander that pulls the crap out of the ball. Yeah. I mean, 50%. that's really extreme pull percentage. And, you know, I think teams are a little bit slower to, to shift guys uh, that are right-handed yes. just because it's a little bit harder. And it's a little bit harder just in general because you can't pull that first baseman all the way over. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that you know, maybe there's uh, – you know, maybe they are shifting and he's able to get it through that hole there. Um, but, uh, I mean, we have we have the splits on him so for shifts now. Here's the one – here's the question then. Are you, are, should he be on a team in every league right now? I know he's not available in a lot. A lot of you that listen to us do play deeper leagues, and he's probably been picked up, and you know someone's been enjoying at least the last 10 games of this. But there's still some shallow leagues, 10 and 12 teamers where Ledmus Diaz is still hanging out there because 
you know, people are kind of reluctant to buy it or they had him for a couple of weeks and they're like, I'm going to jump off the train here before it even happens. He's, he's gone in most leagues, but the ones where he isn't, and even the ones where he's being offered up in a trade, is this somebody that you would want on your roster until it runs out? Or do you think it could be one of those big collapses where he goes into like a one for 28? Well, I just looked and he hasn't been shifted. I mean, he's been shifted like two or three times all year. So, you know, there, there might be a shift coming, you know, for an extreme pull hitter, even as a right-hander, there, there might be a shift coming. That's going to, that's going to hurt him there. I think even a guy who hits the ball really hard, isn't going to have a 382, uh, Babbitt. Sure. So, you know, that's part of it. And, um, <clears throat> And then there's a, a, the roster crunch situation coming. I don't think that I'm running out to get him, actually. Yeah, I think that that's fair. And honestly, um, he's not available in as many leagues as I would have thought. He's actually up to 79% ownership um, at ESPN, which uh, of the three majors, they cater to the smallest of, the, of those leagues. So to see him at an 80%, 79% there suggests that Aledemus Diaz, he's on a roster right now. It's just a matter of, you know, how quick is your trigger with him? It sounds like yours is pretty quick, and I get what? that. But check this out. I mean, you know, the best 19-game debuts, Craig Edwards did this piece, and he has the best 19-game debuts for guys, and here are the names that are on it. Diaz is number one. Puig, Santana, uh, Carlos, Devon Travis, Chris Dickerson, Mark Reynolds, Brennan Bosch, Jeremy Hazelbaker, Brett Laurie, Corey Seager, Josh Hamilton. So crazy that the Cardinals had two of those. Sorry to interrupt. Like crazy. And right now, Um, I'm. I think Hazel Baker is much more Memorex for me. uh, Much more, you know, unreal. So I, 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 I'm not. I'm not into that. And I would think that Hazel Baker is a little bit like Bush, where it's like, you know, role player, platoon guy, fourth outfit type. Great call, by the way. Comes in and and does well at a peak age, and then sort of uh and sort of falls off but diaz you know fits more of the travis bill which i would call you know we don't know but uh, but, but leaning toward believable thing. if you're on a spectrum i know, think so and then like and, and like brett laurie is like a as a as an interesting thing too where you know brett laurie was great for a while and then you know not as good but usable you know when for he, most of Time. He was younger when he had his debut. You know, he uh, Brett Laurie was 21. We're talking about Lemus Diaz at 25. So maybe the the drop, even when you kind of come back to earth, won't be as sharp. And uh, he'll go to maybe you know last year Brett Laurie or current Brett Laurie, which is kind of what you said almost with the projection uh, right around there. Uh, maybe not current Brett Laurie, who's ha- actually having a really good start himself. But you know that 260. What'd you say? 263, 24, 20. That's still yeah. useful at a shortstop for sure for Ledmus Diaz. So, you know, we're just... he should, he'll be eligible there. So exactly. So yeah. Um, so I mean, I, I you know the deeper the league, the more I'd like to have him on my definitely. roster. But the more likely you can't get him on your roster. So uh, yeah, I guess apologies for being late on this guy. You know. Yeah, I, just, I slept uh, on him. I slept on him for he, sure. It's just the the kind of guy that, I mean, when the team leaves him off the forty man roster and then he comes in. And just blows the league up. You're just like, oh, whatever, you know, for the most part. I mean, and uh, then it just kept going, I guess. It, it really has, you know, 25 games in and it, it's excellent. It's going to take a big streak to cut into those numbers, though, too. So if you are following somebody like Ledmus Diaz, you got to stay on those game logs because the bottom line numbers probably aren't going to tell you for a while 
that 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 there's that there's trouble brewing. But if you see a big spike in strikeouts or something like that, and in addition to you know a bunch of offers are coming, you know just because that's kind of the way it, it works with the law of averages. But if they're filled with two and three strikeout situations. That's when I think you need to panic on Diaz. But let's move on to another guy who does actually love striking out. That is one of his top hobbies. He lists it on his OK Cupid <laughs> profile. Uh, they posted that on MLB for some reason. It was very weird. <laughs> it's Chris Carter uh, with the Milwaukee Brewers. You know, when he made the move over, I think we just said pretty much status quo. Park is going to be good still. Lineup is, uh, you know, if anything, lineup would make it less than a little bit less than status quo because we didn't love Milwaukee coming into the season. But that lineup's actually okay in the middle. It shouldn't necessarily hamper him. But he's coming out firing. You know, last year everyone kind of kept waiting for Chris Carter to to click again and get hot the way he did in 2014. But 2014 was an aberration. You just don't usually see guys like that that are that far down get going and turn it around that much. So it was weird to kind of expect that again, and it didn't come to fruition. And it, it was to a point where the strikeouts and inability to make any consistent contact actually started costing him playing time. So he wound up with just 460 plate appearances. So even the 30 homers that you kind of felt were guaranteed from Chris Carter, and you'll make up the, the batting average where you can, didn't even get there. He was at 24 homers, 64 ribbies with a 199 average. Now, so far this year, he's cut into the strikeout rate, and, you know, when you're at a 29%, that's still pretty bad. But when you're coming from where Chris Carter's been, it's a legitimate improvement. Uh, he's stinging the ball right now. Nine homers, 21 ribbies, uh, 17 runs scored, 287 average. That's obviously the big one. 308 Babbitt. But, of course, Babbitt doesn't count homers, and nine, nine of his 25 hits are homers. So it's a little bit misleading, especially early on when there's a large chunk of home runs. But... Is this just the hot streak early for Chris Carter as opposed to, you know, something that we have to wait for after he's already buried his numbers? Or are there legitimate changes here for Sleepy, which is his nickname I just learned today on MLB Central? Um, are, are there changes for Sleepy Carter that we should believe in? I mean, there's for sure the lowest swing rate of his career, which is something that surprised me. And one thing that I did say going into the season was that uh, I didn't think that um, – I, I thought that maybe going to a new league might be helpful to him because he was a little bit of a grip it and rip it guy. That's right. Um, and uh, it's weird, though, because you know not swinging as much. Dave Hudgens is the hitting coach in Houston, and he's, he's all about – he told me literally the last time I saw him, which was last week, he said, I think the better hitters swing less. And, you know – for him to say that and to have Chris Carter, you know, swing less when he leaves town, I, I'm, I'm not going to say it's a new voice. I, I doubt it's a new voice. Maybe it's just uh, I, I noticed that pitchers are throwing it in the zone more to him uh, in, right now than they have since uh, 2011. So I, I think that could be basically what I'm saying, which is that the pitchers, you know, don't know enough to really sort of uh, get him reaching and get him sort of dancing around and uh and get him aggressive so uh i don't know if it's maybe it's a book thing but for whatever reason he's not swinging he's not reaching he just looks really good uh and uh it's the best strikeout rate of his career best swing strike rate of his career uh you know 29 years old you know this, he's still got enough of his athleticism and now maybe he's putting together a little bit of a book uh, you know, all this is to say that, you know, something like the Zips projection, which is 243 average and 28 homers, I'll take that 
over the steamer projection, which is a 225 average and 21 homers. It's the the zips projection seems a little bit more reactive to what's happening right now. Um, it gives him a better BABIP and um, you know better strikeout rate, which mm-hmm. seems to be the way that he's headed this year. I mean, just and that's going to be the key reason. for for Chris Carter. A- a- anything that any gains that you're going to see, I really do think are going to come via a, a, a strikeout rate improvement or or at least an approach improvement, like you said, that he's swinging less because even you know the the four percent. Um, Four percentage point drop in strikeout rate is not, you know, massive, but when it's paired with a little bit more selectivity, that even when he is swinging, he's making better decisions and and you know crushing the ball, uh, which is what we are seeing from him a 39% hard hit rate, 39.3. If you, once you kind of push it out a decimal, it is the highest of his career. Uh, that 2013 season, he was at 39.1. So we're seeing you know positive signs from Chris Carter. Jason was in on him too, so you guys, you guys were both a little bit bigger on him than I than I was. You know, the the streakiness has been so prevalent. I, I know we say all hitters are streaky, but some are much more so than others. And I do think Chris Carter kind of comes on that on one end of the spectrum there, where his highs are very high, his lows are extremely low. So I don't know. I'd be looking to sell because I do think that. When it's a power situation like this, and we've seen him hit 37 homers before, there's going to be some interest on the market. Not that not that anyone's going to buy in on a 287 average. You know, your trade talks will probably you know include your your trade partner saying, well, you know, he's going to probably get down to 240 or maybe hit 240 the rest of the way. So let's kind of adjust from there. But I think there will be some interest for Chris Carter, and I'd be open to trading him. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely the 220 risk, which takes away a lot of that power value. He's definitely not going to give you any stolen bases, you know. So absolutely. Yeah. Wait, are you are you sure though? I I kind of made him a big part. He was my D Gordon replacement, dude. And now you're telling me there's no. <laughs> and we also talked about how that uh, that uh, that he's not going to give you as many runs in RBI because he gets replaced late in games. And that that was a great point. I and I distinctly remember you making that one and that's that's a very interesting point stuff like that gets overlooked at times and it can be key especially when you're already on a team that might struggle for runs to to give you those opportunities you're going to even be cut off a bit by not having that last at bat although is it, it could it maybe help the the batting average piece if he's not getting you as many or at least lower the hit that it takes if he's not getting you as many at bats because he could still pop thirty, you know, he's a guy who could still pop thirty homers in five hundred plate appearances if you're not getting. At the projection right now, has him hitting thirty-seven. So, so you know, that 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 could that could actually work a little bit in your favor. But from the volume standpoint, it is definitely something you need to be cognizant of with Chris Carter. But yeah, I'd go out and try to sell him, see what's out there. If you don't, if you get kind of lowballed, then just move on and, and hang on to him because you already knew what you you already you already had. Uh, the, the downside in mind when you got him and you're getting some some greatness right now and we'll see if it can stick with with Chris Carter but I'll tell you what he hit 199 last year I already mentioned that and I guarantee that this next guy would would be dying to hit that right now because he's hitting <laughs> 077 and that's a guy I loved coming into the season Aaron Hicks and I don't I'm not too worried about you know, my, my interest in him because it's been 28 plate appearances. It's been nothing. He's been a replacement, 17 games, 28 plate appearances. I think you can glean literally nothing from these numbers, not only because it's a small sample, but how the small sample was accumulated in, in one, two at bat chunks that I'm just, I'm like, yeah, it sucks, but what, what can we really do with it? However, 
He becomes more relevant today, does Aaron Hicks, with the news that Alex Rodriguez is going to go on the disabled list. That's one thing that we knew coming in, even as somebody who really liked um, Aaron Hicks. I, I knew that, okay, to start the season, there's probably going to be a log jam. But I know that this, I know for a fact, I would bet I would bet anything on it that this old team, this old rickety team is not going to hold up all year and Hicks is going to get his playing time. So this creates an avenue for Aaron Hicks. What do you think we can see out of him in the interim while while A-Rod is nursing the uh, the hamstring? You know, it's weird. One of the things that was so great about last year was he started swinging at pitches in the zone and was it became more aggressive. He's one of those few players that could benefit from swinging more. We often talk about, just like I said, better players, better hitters swing less. Uh, he was like one of those guys that needed to swing more just to get the bat off his shoulder. Well, yeah, because just... he was passive. His walk rate was one of those that was built on passivity as opposed to a real knowledge of of, of the strike zone and an ability to kind of handle it uh, and be ahead of the pitcher. I always thought that he was taking really good pitches at times for strikes just to kind of get deeper into the count, and it felt a little bit fraudulent. But then, like you said, last year, that sort of started to flip on its head a little bit. And, you know, now it's still only 108 pitches, so, you know, it's not – stable or anything but his his swing percentage is sort of in between the bad and the good so you know we'll, we'll see what he's what he's uh doing when he gets more time and, you know players tell me all the time that that there is a value to playing all the time absolutely there, is a value there has to, to be and we know we know it's sort of because we talk about the pinch hitting penalty which is 10 percent off mm-hmm. uh which which was uh you know 10 percent off of uh, of whatever you are normally if you're coming off the bench you're 10 percent worse that's part of that but that's uh, that's sort of a one game thing. We're talking about being in the lineup every night. So, uh, you know, it's really hard to get going. I think part of what happened last year in 2015 also was that they gave him the ball basically in terms of, you know, that he played. Uh, yeah, they and Aaron had some playing time finally. Yeah. So this year, you know, once again, off the bench, platoon guy, uh, you know, late game substitute. So there's a little bit of. Uh, thing going on there where it's back to where he was, you know, back in 2013 with the, or 2014 with the twins. But now Beltran, the DH. He's just going to flip that switch again, you know, but, uh, and I think it's a good time to, you know, as usual, look at this, at the projections and realize that they're not telling, they're not saying he's going to hit much better than 240 and not jump on him in like a 10 or 12 teamer, more of a deep league guy. Certainly. Um, And I think, you know, it's interesting to put this in the context of the team saying they needed to do more to uh, that they that they need to do something that they're in trouble. You know, there there've been some con- comments from Cashman and uh, that they need to really turn things around. And it, it's uh, there's you could read that a bunch of different ways. Like, what if Hicks does well in this in this in this time, right? Then he it's he's like one of the only young players on the team, and then all of a sudden. The narrative, uh, you know, the, the quote unquote narrative becomes, well, you know, we've got this young guy and the team is so old, we got to play him. And, and I, I'm, I'm hoping, honestly, that's kind of the, the plan that I thought could play out. That's why I am so heavily invested in him in, in, the, in the deep leagues that I'm in with Aaron Hicks, because 
I, I thought he could emerge, find playing time via injury, and then hang on to it by playing well and, and building on what he did last year. Because he's only 26 years old, Aaron Hicks is. He's been kind of around in the consciousness for a while, so there's some prospect fatigue, even though he's long past his rookie eligibility. It's just like, oh, you know, remember that guy? He was charting on, on prospect li- lists all the way back in 2009. He must be 1,000 years old by now. He's still only 26 years old. He's still well within the range to, you know, actually still bust out he doesn't even have a thousand plate appearances yet yeah and you know rodriguez finally looked old yeah i mean he's he he, he hit for power but you know but that's that not it. that seems like yeah that seems like something you can do as an old man is connect on things every once in a while yeah, just and wait on wait on your and pitch and, and just try to rate strikeout rate goes up and uh the strikeout rate goes up and yeah i mean he, he's athletic for his age uh, which I'm talking like he's an old man and I'm four years younger, but um, you know, it is so uh, weird how we do that in yeah. in sports. You know, what, what what we talk about as old when when we're like two years away from it. It's like, <laughs> yeah, but everyone's like 18 when they debut. I know. Crap. I, I understand the, the why. It's just funny when you think about it in real in real life terms for a moment. Yeah, I mean, so so we're getting there. We're getting there to that that shot. This is Alex Rodriguez is hurt. And um, it's just a strained right hamstring. But while he's hurt, uh, that means more opportunities for Carlos Beltran to get hurt. And, uh, you know, Carlos Beltran is looking old himself. Uh, you know, he, his, his offensive line is actually below league average. And he's he compiled- needs new left guard. Oh, yeah, not he- that kind of offensive line. My fault. And, his, and he's, uh, he's adding to that, um, you know, some bad defense. So... Um, you know, yeah, to the point on Beltran real fast, big spike in strikeout rate, big decline in walk rate. I mean, he's got the, he's got everything kind of going the wrong way right now at at age 39 under hundred plate appearances, but you don't usually see that kind of, that, that, that's a stark skill change that kind of jumps out to me with the, with the strikeout and walk ratios for Beltran. He's still maintaining kind of a league average, uh, OPS. Because of the pop, he has four homers and, and three doubles among his 23 hits. But um, it, we might be knocking on the door here to the end, at least in terms of mixed league relevance for Carlos Beltran. Yeah, 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 I think so. If you're holding on to him, you know, that batting average is not going to get better. And the power so far, you just don't know how, you know, it's it's sort of borderline. It could go either way going forward, really. Um and, uh, you know, the, the ground ball fly ball rate is at a, you know, he's hitting more grounders for fly balls than he has in seven years. So, um, yeah, I, I think that, uh, there is a window here for Hicks. It's, it's only one that you want to sit on if you're in a deeper league, but there is a little bit of a window here for him to prove something to a team that's falling behind that needs to score runs, uh, that can't hit lefties. I mean, these are all these, all these sort of things that could make, him really useful to the team. Absolutely. And all of a sudden you look up and Hicks is the regular outfielder and Beltran and Rodriguez are sort of sharing time, uh, nursing their injuries, um, you know, coming in as pinch hitters, uh, you know, doing the DH backup first base, uh, you know, you know, and their playing time plummets. So there is, 
And I think, you know, for other guys, you just, you, for other leagues, you kind of, you just wait and watch a little bit. Yes. So you, you can, you can afford to wait and see a little something in your 10 and 12 team mixers because no one's, I don't think anyone's really going to be running out to, to get, to get Hicks uh, as quickly as they can. Oh my God. Nelson Cruz just hit a monster <laughs> shot to dead center. My goodness. That was a ridiculous shot. Anyway, that, that wraps it up on Aaron Hicks right now. We're sitting, we're sitting tight in super shallow leagues. Uh, but but maybe a watch list sort of situation, and then deeper leagues you, you can be interested. Oh, that was from earlier in the game. They were just showing yeah. you play. I'm I'm a nerd. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let's move on to another Aaron. Aaron Nola. We're shifting over to pitching, and he's been really interesting this year. Obviously, that whole Phillies uh, staff has more the more the pitching rotation than the, than the bullpen. But we did talk about the bullpen the other day, and one of their studs, Hector Neris. Then I believe he went out that night and struck out three in an inning. Not only that, we had a, we had a banner day Monday, by the way. Sorry for the tangent, and sorry for the well, not sorry for the backpack because I'm doing it on purpose. But also on Monday, we uh, sang the praises of Chris Davis and said, you know, stick with him. Let's get in there and buy a little bit. And he's just been raking since. I mean, just just dominated on Monday. Has a little, what three homers this week. Uh, he's definitely on one right now. Really getting out of that slump that he had, and which you know a lot of it you attributed to the new league, just kind of getting it settled. And it really wasn't that long to be considered a dangerous slump anyway. And now he's he's killing it. So a little bit of the sleeper in the bus touch is in effect there. So that that's nice. I know sometimes we hype guys and then they go out and have a terrible night. Those are the nights that I, I definitely go cry in my, my bathtub by myself. But the nights <laughs> that uh, the guys we talk about dominate, I'm just I'm streaking through the quad with Will Ferrell. It's fantastic. But I want to talk Aaron well, Cole. We, we talked about we talked about the sound off his bat and the and the exit velocity he was showing and um, you know he the, the pop was there. I think you know I think there's a little bit of streakiness to him. Uh, he's a high strikeout guy. Bill Petty showed the volatility is linked to, to and streakiness is linked to, to strikeouts like that. Just like and then time. learning a new league um, and uh, and a new ballpark. So I, I think that uh, you know we were we were justified in saying that he was going to be fine. You know, maybe, and, and I think we even did say that his batting average wasn't going to be great, but it probably wasn't going to be great to begin with. So. No, and, you know, a, a, a couple of homers on a single night after we talk about him doesn't definitively prove us right one way or the other. It's just nice when you say something nice about a guy, and that night he goes out and rewards it with, uh, w- w- with a big night, especially if you yourself used him in DFS that night, and I did. So, so there's that too. I didn't win anything, so who really cares, by the way, if you got like one good pick for the night. But uh, anyway, that's 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 Chris Davis with a K. Stick with him if you got him, and you were like, oh, I'm gonna sell high now. Just hang with him, it's, especially in Roto. And you paid for power, you're gonna get the power. You're getting the power. Just hang with him. I really like Chris Davis with the K. Uh, but Aaron Nola. Again, that Phillies rotation has been really interesting this year because they've been good mostly. Um, they've had some signature performances. We all know the Vincent Velasquez de- demolition of San Diego. Hellickson has had some nice starts, although his last one was a little bit rough against that uh, high-powered San- uh, St. Louis offense. But uh, Aaron Nola was probably the guy coming in that we all thought, okay, well, this is the draftable guy. This is the one draftable guy in every league, and Velasquez is the next draftable guy in a little bit deeper leagues. And then forget the rest. Well, it really hasn't played out that way. But Nola has definitely lived up to his billing and then some. He's toting a 293 ERA, a .80 whip, but then some really impressive skills behind it. A 29% strikeout rate, which is 44 strikeouts in his 40 innings of work and just a 5% walk rate. So 
we're seeing some really nice things there. Add in a 50% ground ball rate, and he's just kind of amplified the the things that he did well last year. When he when he had 77 and two thirds innings last year across 13 starts, he had a decent strikeout rate, a good walk rate, and a good ground ball rate. These were the things that we kind of expected from him. But now he has an elite strikeout rate, which is interesting because we haven't seen a commensurate jump in swinging strike rate. And this is something I noticed about him uh, this past offseason when studying Aaron Nola is that. He gets a ton of called strikes. And while those are are good because they cannot hurt you, they really are the best strike when you think about it because you can't get hurt by them if the batter isn't swinging. They're not necessarily repeatable. And yet so far in his brief career, we're seeing Aaron Nola really show an affinity for called strikes. Hold on. Uh, This is something I share with you, this feeling that swinging strikes are better than called strikes. However, the research I've seen seems to suggest that it's about the same. Really? Yeah. Uh, and it's it's hard for me to even say because I don't agree with it, but I only just don't agree with it. <laughs> I yeah, don't have, I have that sometimes I too. Where it's something like, I just don't agree with it, but but, but why? I, I I just don't agree with it. I don't have the <laughs> I don't have the backing. And sometimes that's just all it is. Like I'll, I'll freely I admit want, that. I want to have a player with stuff. Yes, you know? I want and, the swinging strike over the call. But if they're close. I mean, he's yeah, pacing. Yeah, because what the, the, the work, I, for, I forget if it was Simon or Swartz. I think it was Swartz. Matt Swartz, baseball prospectus, he did a thing about um, in like basically projecting future strikeouts and basically using uh, swing strike rate and using called strike rate to project future strikeouts and that you didn't gain much knowledge by checking from, from moving from one to the other. Wow. Well, so I, I, I've looked at that like a bunch of times and it just feels wrong. But, you know, I think what it, the reason that, okay, here's the reason that I am biased towards swing strike rate, because called strike rate has to have something to do with command, which we have no way right now of really nailing. And not only that, you've mentioned this when we've talked about this, two other elements, the catcher right. and the umpire. Right. So not only so do you it need... Just seems, it just seems like... Uh, just seems like too much, man. It just seems like too too much to put it on. You swing strike rate is like, here, I threw this pitch, and it, it depends on you to swing at it, but other than that, you know, you're going to miss it. Yes. So uh, it, it, that's... Uh, anyway... Well, for what but, it's uh, worth, you know, quick, quickly, uh, there have been 156 players with 100 innings pitched since last year combined to, between 2015 and so far this year. 156 pitchers. Aaron Nola has 117, so I just used the round number of 100. He leads the league at 41.5% called strike rate, just uh, 0.2 above Cologne. But he and Cologne at 41, 42-ish percent, they pace the league. Next highest is Kyle Hendricks at 38%. But interesting interesting names here. These first four, Aaron Nola, well, the first three behind Nola, Cologne, Hendricks, and Fister, are just not really power guys. But Nola's swinging strike rate at 10% is higher than all of those guys for sure. And and the first guy that you see that has the called strike rate and the dominance is actually Steven Strasburg. He's sixth on this list with a 37% called strike rate and a 12% swinging strike rate. And again, Nola's at 42 and 10. So I, I don't necessarily know what to, to make of that. Well, no, I think, I think, I mean, what you're suggesting is that he has both. He has, he has swing and miss stuff and good command. It certainly feels like it, at least early on. And that's yeah, and I think that's I think that's true. I mean, I think that's I think that's what's so great about Aaron Nola. I traded away 
Uh, were you on board when we did that? Um, who did we trade for Aaron Nola? Dallas Keuchel. Oh, I don't think I was on board for that. I, uh, that might I have been right before. Dallas Keuchel for Aaron Nola and some other parts. I forget what those parts are. They're, oh, Jorge Lopez. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, and one more part. I forget what that last part was. So uh, basically, I, I was saying I think Aaron Nola is going to be really good now. I think Jorge Lopez, who had a real rough start. He's a Brewers uh, well, prospect. He's 95 on our fastball. In that stupid uh, park. Don't they play in Colorado Springs? Yeah, I mean, they're in Colorado Springs. Useless and, information out of that, out of that uh, minor league affiliate. But I think maybe the struggles will help him uh, be more fine with his command and, and figure out his secondary stuff a little bit. And uh, I think he might come out okay out of that. I mean, it's not like Milwaukee's a great place to pitch. so That's true. It might be good for him. But in any case, I'm not out on Lopez right now, even though he's struggling a little bit. And uh, boy, am I glad I bought on Nola. I mean, uh, it's been great, so, especially using Keiko. Jeez. Well, so, and you had reservations about Keiko coming into the season, and maybe we can maybe we can say a little something about him afterwards because we've got another couple stars. Actually, I've got a, I've got a piece coming up on him tomorrow, so yeah, we should we should. Well, let's do it now because because I have this piece that we you know I have this trade that we did, and the reason I did the trade in the off season was because I didn't really buy. Keiko's swing strike rate based on his stuff that had never gotten those swing strike rates before. So uh, I thought it was a little bit based on the fact that he had the lowest zone percentage in baseball. and Or one of the lowest, one of the three I lowest. It, yeah, so, it, was, it was very low. So I think it was third lowest. So basically he was pitching like Francisco Liriano without Francisco Liriano's stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I didn't know that I, that I totally believed in that. Plus, Keiko's a little bit older than people think because he's 28 or 29. And um, and so I just figured here comes uh, the decline phase a little bit for him. And even if the and, and it's the same sort of stuff I said at the beginning of the season when I said he's a guy who's going to fall out of the top 20 because he's just not going to have those strikeouts and he might have a decent ERA, but he's not going to have those strikeouts. And he's going to become more of a sinker baller. Well, he hasn't necessarily done all that. Uh, he's gone to a cutter now that is giving him the swinging strikes. But it, it has robbed him of ground balls and has robbed him of his effectiveness at the bottom of the zone. And that was so, something that you keyed in on pretty early. You just noticed that there was a little bit of a change with him and said, listen, we got to keep an eye on this. This was already a guy I had reservations about. And now we're yeah. seeing this early on. And it's really playing out still. You, I think you said it after like two starts. We're four more in and it's not looking any better. He has the one good start against the Tigers. He cut them up for eight innings. But every time, every time out, every other time out, it's been pretty bad, and there's been a lot of yeah, walks. He, yeah, he talked about uh, people stopping to swing against him, and there's some evidence of that. He also said that uh, there's a, a battleground forming around first strikes where you know the, the teams that are very patient, um, he has to get those first strikes, and he needs to be better about it, and he hasn't necessarily shown the command that he's shown in the past to get those first strikes. Mm-hmm. And then the teams that are aggressive, he needs to not, not you know pitch them first strikes. Uh, so there's been a little bit of playing with, uh, you know, the swing rates have gone up and down a little bit according to what team he's faced. But in general, people are swinging less and he's having to come back into the zone more. And the more he comes into the zone, the more hittable he gets because he's not. He doesn't have overpowering uh, stuff. You know, his changeup is not Marco. Marco Estrada's changeup led the league in, in the zone lifts last year just because it's it's silly. It's a Bugs Bunny changeup. Whose is that? That's uh, Marco Estrada. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. His changeup is absolutely ridiculous. He can throw that in the zone. Aaron Nola, who we're talking about right now, what he's doing right now is throwing the curveball in the zone. 
And the why that's so effective is because it's a great curveball and it's in the zone. So if you choose not to swing at it, it's a strike. And if you choose to swing at it, you miss a lot or you hit a lot of ground balls. So, you know, when you have that sort of amazing pitch that you can throw in the zone and nobody can hit it, that's that's or they have to take it and it's a strike. Um, you know, then that's a little bit of the Drew Pomerantz, Rich Hill situation there. Um, you know, then that's sort of golden where I saw with, uh, with Keiko in a way was a nibbler, basically a little bit of a nibbler. I mean, he's, what he's doing is extending that strike zone low and away, getting that sinker and that change up in there and then throwing uh, enough sliders to, to keep you off balance. So, uh, in any case, I, you know, give, going forward this year, uh, I think the velocity thing is not as bad as it seems. He's ticked back up and he's only, you know, about a three quarters of a, a mile per hour down from where he was before, which is about what you might expect from aging at his age. Mm-hmm. So I don't think the velocity is a huge deal. But the shift from the, the cutter, the sinker to the cutter, I think is a little bit interesting because that's the cutter, even though it does well on swinging strikes, it does not do well once they make contact. So I think that's part of the, the BABIP and the ERA right now is that the fact that he's gone to this new pitch that's inferior to his old other pitches. And he likes it a lot. So, you know, if I had the choice right now to trade Keiko for Nola in, uh, in a regular league redraft, I would take it. And, um, you know, if I, uh, if I had a chance to get Keiko, get two lesser pitchers that, I, that, that uh, gave me a shot at being better, uh, for Keiko, I, 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 you know, I want to say like Walker and Mats, but uh, you know, there's people saying no, those guys are better. So um, maybe uh, give me some names. Would you say Matt? Well, you said Mats and Walker. Yeah, I don't, know, I don't think you can get both. Most people take that. What about uh, one of them and and something smaller though? Or what about like Quintana and like Chen? Yeah, Chen hasn't been that good yet, but I'm actually not too worried about him. Yeah, I would take that. Uh, Gaussman uh, and Jordano Ventura. Okay. T- that's more like two lotto tickets, hoping that one of the lotto tickets is better. Yeah, uh, that's true. Or what, I think or I then like it. Maybe- I like it. And the reason I like it is this, is that Gaussman came out and threw a ton of friggin' curveballs which was one thing that we were looking for him. And the other thing that I like about it is Ventura showed up on my piece today as the guy who's added more of a pitch than anybody else in baseball. His changeup, he's throwing his changeup, you know, almost double as much as he did last year. And that's the biggest change in baseball. And I think that's leading a little bit to the command problems, but the actual ball rate on the changeup itself is not that bad. So I think it's just a little bit of a hiccup, and uh, he's going to get back on... And then he's going to be a better pitcher because he's going to be more of a three-pitch pitcher. So I would take that deal. I would take that deal. Are there truth to the rumors that you only included Jordano Ventura because your piece is called The Change and it was (laughs) the biggest change and you just wanted to have that symmetry? I don't know. I heard that rumor somewhere. I'm not going to say who, Paul Swyden, but I heard that from somebody talking mess. It was definitely Paul Swyden. And I'm not not, not going to name his name, Paul Swyden, so don't worry about it. Anyway, I'm just kidding, obviously. Jordano Ventura, though, I would do that deal too and and – I think you can get that done. I think you can get a lot of those done. Or again, you said Walker, Mats. I think one of those with one of the my other guys there, you know, like a Walker, Gossman, I would definitely do. A Mats, Gossman, I, would, I think I would do. And I want to talk yeah. about Mats because yeah. 
I was a Matt's hater coming into this year, and I thought that his price was was just too much. And I still stand by that. By the way, did Dejo Lee just hit another? Yes, he did. Oh my God, they they just wow. they just took the lead in this game. Eat that, Both John Ashford. By the way, uh, the reviews are in. Loose on Twitter. People love when we talk about games that we are watching, even though by the time they listen, those events <laughs> will be so old. Um, especially if they don't listen day of that we've gotten positive reviews. So I know sometimes, you know, you might, whoa, whoa, don't talk about the game. Well, they love it. They absolutely love it. So Dejo Lee just went yak on, uh, on John Axford and, and they're now leading this game. I want to say they were down seven to nothing or, or six, nothing. It was bad early because Felix got knocked around a bit, but uh, shifting back to Matt's, I guess the only problem of talking about the games as they're happening is you get on tangents and you have to get back on track. <laughs> but I want to talk about Matt's because, like I said, I was the hater coming in because drafted 30th overall based on six starts. That just didn't sit well with me. And obviously, you know, he came out, had that bad first start, but, you know, he was pushed back. The weather was bad. I remember it was super windy that game. You can't just I, – I didn't want to be confirmation bias guy and say, well, that's why I said don't draft him. But I, I – didn't want him at that price. It's not that I think Steven Matz is bad. I actually think he's good. I just don't think he can stay healthy is really my biggest issue of taking him that high. But another big outing today, and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering where, where we should be standing with him right now because his next start out will double his his career starts. Uh, you know, It'll be another six under his belt, and we've had four great ones, one awful one. Now, two of those – are against Atlanta, which definitely takes a little bit of sting out of it, even if you're uh, a Mats fan in terms of assessing the skills. But at the same time, I will, again, kind of devil's advocate myself. He's not going anywhere in terms of the NL East. And they still got Atlanta, and they still got Philly, who, despite their good record, has a terrible offense. They still got the Marlins, who you know tricked us again into thinking that they were good, and their offense is kind of blah. So you still got those three clubs there. Washington is definitely good, but not necessarily last year's Jays team. So his whole division for Mats is something that you can feel comfortable having a pitcher in. I'm just curious, did I have, should I have not been as tepid as I was with him as the 30th pitcher overall? Is this something that he can earn? Where do you stand on Steven Mats? The weirdest thing about him though, still is that weird ass low swing striker. <laughs> I know, right? For, for some dominant stuff, by the way. And do- yeah, Great velocity, good you know secondary stuff for the most part. I am still still worried that this is a bit of a lefty Andrew Kashner situation, and the reason I say this is he's not a command guy. That's so fair, by the way. As, as devastating as that could be of, of a comp, he's not as com- He's not as uh, he's not a command guy. He's not Aaron Nola out there. Exactly, and so you would expect him to have. I don't know, a much lower walk rate at the very least, or, you know, not have struggled with the home run last year or, or just watch him. And you know, he's not a command guy. So the, you know, getting more, almost like 10 strikeouts per nine out of a 7.5% swing strike rate makes me say, I don't know, watching him, obviously, then you'll see, well, this is great stuff. So maybe the swing strikes are going to come. But, you know, in terms of like the backstory with him too, I don't know if people know this, but he never really had a good breaking ball, and it took him like all of the minors to to show a good breaking ball. And in the meantime, he was getting away from throwing his changeup, which he always felt like was in his back pocket and would always be good for him. Um, and uh, so 
he finally got his 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 curveball to average, and so far he's thrown 200 curveballs to exactly average whiff rate, exactly actually a little bit below average ground ball rate, but pretty much he has he's showing an average uh, curveball. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, his changeup has has basically become average. So in terms of whiffs and grounders, his changeup is average. So I mean that uh, that's where that Andrew Kashner from the left side comp kind of comes into play with because we talked about how. Andrew Kashner's secondary stuff does is is not as good as we thought. Just it was doesn't measure. Be. Yeah, I thought I thought it was going to be great. It can look great in spurts, and I think that that's also the case with Mats. To your point with the swinging strike rate, even today, seven and two thirds, two hits, no runs, eight Ks, only the seven and a half, the same exact seven and a half percent swinging strike rate. He got eight swinging strikes out of his 106 pitches, so he's not going to move that needle at all, despite another eight Ks. So that's a really interesting mix there because you know you look at those in tandem like i say to do with the era and whip you should do the same with your with your strike rate or strikeout rate and swinging strike rate and if one of them stands out uh, on one end or the other you, you got to be skeptical of that second one and 24 percent strikeout rate looks excellent seven and a half swing strike rate is is eyebrow raising to say the least so yeah and you, and you look at all his whiff rates they they match right up with that where they their average or, or like for for the fact that he's a lefty uh, throwing a ninety-three a mile an hour fastball plus uh, the the whiff rate seven point nine on his four seam is is basically average. So mm-hmm. uh, he's actually throwing the Worth and slider now, which is exciting from a pitch mix standpoint because now he has four pitches. But the Worth and slider is actually not known so much for its whiffs as it is for maybe this weak contact. So you have to sort of buy into a weak contact uh, thing with him uh, because ten percent whiffs on seventy sliders. So. Um, you know, that's below average actually, but you know, he always said that he wasn't, he, he was going to put the, take the slider in last. And so I guess the, with the off season, he, he got into it. But. Well, Matt, Matt's is throwing it a ton this year. You know, he only threw it 2% of the time last year. He's up to 16%. So he's got three secondary pitches that he at least goes to. Whereas somebody like Cashner, who we're making this, this loose comp with has devolved into almost a two pitch pitcher. So I do like that Matt's at least has three additional weapons, though none of them are standouts. So it, it, it does That's it's a little bit suspect. But if you <laughs> if you remove that first start and just say, you know what? Again, he got pushed back, weather was kind of ugly, Miami jumped him early and it was just disastrous. He he's he's been one of the best pitchers in these in these last four starts at Cleveland, at Atlanta, home to San Francisco, home to Atlanta. And San Francisco's no joke and he dropped six shutout innings on them. So, you know, at least and, one and of those offenses we- was good. And what do we come back to as actually having a, a backbone in terms of research is strikeouts minus walks are the best in-season predictor. Uh, and here's a guy with an excellent strikeout minus walk rate. Yep. So, so, so uh, you know. I'm a real reason not to jump on him. I think th- that the little sort of resistance and the, the, the fading that we're doing here on him is maybe just a little bit more long-term. I saw, you know, one, uh, one person in our league uh, traded uh, Yasmani Tomas and uh, other pieces uh, for Steven Madsen. It's Tomas, so you, you've heard just as much sort of hemming and hawing about Tomas on this, on this, on this radio station. So uh, that, that, that sort of a trade seems fine. But if you were trading like a Michael Conforto and you were going to get Steven Matz back in a, in a keeper league, I would say uh, keep your young bat. Uh, Matz is a, is a nice guy to get, but we know with this injury history and this weird swing strike situation that 
Um, it's the story's not written yet. See, and this is where something like the price is what's so important and, and explains why I didn't like Matt's. Because if you're talking about that price, Tomas and a little something else, I'm in. Because I, I like the talent that Matt's has. I didn't want to pay the 30th starting pitcher off the board, though. And thankfully, that first start has has you know muddied the water enough to bring a discount, even though he's got four good starts in a row now, that, yes, I would buy. So you know I don't want it to be looking like, oh, I'm a flip-flopper. All of a sudden, I'm changing my tune. Honestly, the tune is always based on the market. And, and I just thought the market was was ridiculous early season and in draft season. And now right at this moment, it looks like Matt's can be had for a little bit less. And I would take a chance. I do still worry about the injuries, though. The reason it kind of took him a little while, not that he was a late bloomer at 24, but again, the, the, the market that we're in now with guys coming up much earlier, it feels a little bit late bloomerish. It was because of injuries. And he got hurt last year, and he started the season hurt this year. So th- that is still a looming concern for me with Matt's. And he does throw 95-plus, which is always a concern as well. Um, so there, there, that's Steven Matz. We've given an update on him. Next up is an interesting guy who I've, I'd gone to the mat for, for so many years that this year, it wasn't that I was flat out against him. It was just off the radar ignored. I I just wasn't paying attention to Derek Holland. And you wrote him up in today's piece as well, which I will link. You were talking about, uh, velocity gainers and velocity losers from April to April. And, um, he hit, he hit the big gainers. And what did you find on, on, on Derek Holland, who again, Injuries have, have really ravaged this guy's career, especially these last few years where he's gone 37 and 58 and two-thirds innings these last two years. His 29 already this year you know, has him ready to smash what he, what he did last year. If, again, if he can stay healthy, which I guess is obvious. But he's off to a good start results-wise. Skills aren't necessarily there, but you saw a velocity jump. What's up with, uh, with Derek Holland? Oh, his velocity, yeah. his velocity is actually down. Excuse me. Down. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah, long way. The the it's it's a little bit um, weird because he came up uh, last year and then he only has like one appearance in April last year. And what I did was compare velocity from this year to last year. Um, And uh, and what I did was this April to last April. Mm -hmm. So there were a couple guys that just had weird uh, situations in April. Uh, that showed up, and um, and then David Robertson, who just uh, he throws a cutter, and I didn't put cutters in there, so I don't know why he's on there. But anyway, if you look at Derek Holland uh, from April last year, he was at 88.4, uh, and uh, and he was 90.7 uh, last week, so he looks like a gainer, right? Mm-hmm. Except that he ended last year at 92.9. Okay, so I see. Yeah, because I I saw him in the gainers. Yeah. I was like, what did I miss? But then I read I read the the chunk that you had on him and and it explains it further as to why yeah. you're a sell. You're a, not only are you a sell, you put him down for a sell, 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 sell. That's four sells, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. You're still holding Derek Holland. You're doing yourself a disservice. You got to sell him right now. Uh, Eno well, agrees. The, the the he's I I don't know if there's been a cha- a pitch that's been thrown as often as he's thrown his changeup that is as bad as that. <laughs> there's not anyone using a worse pitch more often. Yeah, I mean, like I I don't know, and I've talked to him about it, and he said I like my change, and I'm like, you're normally you know a pitcher when they start having bad results on a pitch that they, they notice it right away, and they and they will be upfront and say yeah. You know, well, like when I talked to Keiko about his cutter, he said, 
no, it's been a good pitch for me. That's because he's been in, he's seeing all those swinging strikes, and he yeah. says, "Well, I'm bad," you know. Well, this and he is doesn't... this is one of those things though where where real life situations can really kind of guide you properly in fantasy baseball because Derek Holland also likes his mustache. So the fact <laughs> of the matter is, he likes bad things. So honestly, I think the next time that you interview him, you should find out what pitches he likes, and we know that those pitches will suck. And then the ones that he doesn't like, maybe those are the ones that he should use more. I don't know. I'm just saying. Sometimes you can draw from real life experiences and apply them to the fantasy baseball realm. Well, and then, you know, sometimes people ask me about uh, when these stats stabilize, which, you know, I'm still trying to work on this. I'm not very good at the, 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 the way that you have to study the split half correlation is very difficult. And Isn't that I've why we got have Jeff. He's so smart with that well, stuff. Yeah. Even he says it's a difficult, difficult one. And so, uh, I, I'm trying to work with someone and he just, he hasn't done it yet. So, and I can't, you know, get on him about it. So, Hey, do um, this for case, me now. 1400 friggin' changeups with an 8% whiff rate <laughs> and, uh, the worst home run rate of all his pitches. Wow. I think you can say not very good pitch. It's not that the worst good. line drive rate of all of his pitches, you know, the worst ground ball rate of all of his pitches. So, uh, dude, why are you throwing it so often? Uh, this year is one of the most one of the biggest years for him for it. Actually, the uh, biggest ever so far. Thirteen wow. percent. He's never in the last five years he hasn't thrown more than nine percent. So, and all of a sudden he's throwing his his curve. I mean, slider, which is great, unless it's a classification issue, and I don't think it is because. You know, the movements on these pitches are different. Yeah, All of a sudden, he's not throwing his slider, and his slider is his best pitch. So I have no idea. Again, I think I cracked the case thinking. on this one with Derek Holland. <laughs> the mustache. It all goes back to the well, mustache. And also, just to finish it up, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of difference in horizontal movement in a bad way. It has less fade now than it used to. And uh, it has a tiny bit more drop, I guess, maybe almost an inch. But it's still basically has the same drop as his four-seamer. So his sinker drops more than his changeup. I mean, it's a bad pitch. It's just a bad pitch. And then you look at you look at uh just look at the overall stats and they're not they're not That's a that's a lot of hanging changes by the way. If it's dropping more than your sinker, it's just floating in there in the mid 80s at that point. Right. It just doesn't Seemed like there's anything about it that's a good pitch. And then you've got a 7.5 cent swinger strike rate. No thanks. Uh, bad strikeout rate. Uh, 227 BABIP. We've moved way beyond BABIP situations only. But this in this case, you bring that 227 BABIP back in. 0.6 home runs per nine. Career twice that. Yep. Uh, just this is just, bad. Just atrocious yeah, across. If, if you got this, it's so bad where you might be able to not get anything for him. But if you can throw him in. For any little bit, then do it. Yeah, I, I, I firmly agree. And, and if, if you can't, if you're and about, yeah, if you're hanging and hauling about dropping him for somebody, just just do it. Yeah, try to tag him in to, to improve your your stock in a deal. But if not, adios, Derek Holland, that's for sure. So, um, yeah, that's going to wrap up the, the, the player talk here. we got time for the email question, and then we're going to get out of here for the week. This email question comes to us from Ellen. She says, I've had Ender Inciarte stashed on the DL and had to and had picked up Odebel Herrera to replace him. When Inciarte comes back, which may be this weekend, should I try to deal or drop, if unsuccessful, Herrera, uh, who's been pretty great, or keep him in favor of Inciarte? 
for context, it's a 10-team head-to-head mixed league in which walks are also a category. So it's it's batting average, not OBP, but obviously OBP ends up being a pretty important factor because of those walks. She says the Phillies aren't great, but they've been better than the Braves, and Herrera seems like he could contribute more in other categories. Have been competitive in steals without NCRT, but my only other players with anywhere close to the number of projected steals is Lorenzo Kane. Only other player, excuse me. My steals have mostly come from Bryce Harper, Xander Bogarts, Rudin Odor, Josh Harrison, and of course, also Herrera. So more of a grab bag situation with her stolen bases as opposed to somebody who is yeah. delivering big time she's, like Altuve. She's light. Yeah, she's definitely. Light. But I, I, I see probably, well, she has uh, Kane. I didn't add that in, but I see probably like 80, 90 steals. And uh, in a ten- I think I still go with, with Odebell here. Yeah, yeah, I, I was I was going to agree with you on that one. The 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 swing rate changes that he's made there are are going to help Ellen and, and OBP. The only thing that I would add is um, if you're playing on Yahoo, just keep NCRT on there as long as possible. Absolutely, that's a good DL. idea. You know, if you right before he comes off the DL, make sure you not thinking about any uh, bullpen or starting pitcher changes. Uh, you know, make all those changes, make as many changes as you can right before he comes off the DL. And and then hold tight as long as possible, so that uh, if NCRT builds his value, I mean, I know that every ten team or people want to do two for ones, but you would be in such a great spot if you could take, you know, even if and, and take a shot on somebody, like even take a shot like Harrison and NCRT for Billy Hamilton. Yeah, know? even something like that. Because you you would be risking two borderline things, and you'd be risking a fair amount. Because Billy Hamilton, the floor is still pretty low. But at the same time, you would be getting a guy who could change your fortunes completely in in steals. Exactly. It would cover that speed gap, and it gives you one less thing to worry about all year if it works. Otherwise, you are going to have to stay diligent about it, Ellen, and kind of keep looking for guys on the wire or maybe work another deal. But I agree with that in terms of – Try to keep NCR town there, and obviously you're saying stock your moves early because the second you try to make another ad drop, they'll force you to bring them off the DL um, over at Yahoo. And in most leagues, uh, whatever website you use, that's usually the case where you can kind of keep them on, but the second you try to make a move is where they'll I guess there's – and then there's one more question since, since we don't know if she can do this at all. The other question is does she keep Josh Harrison? Uh, that's fair. Oh, I, I don't know if it was her that because there was another question that I looked at. It wasn't hers, I don't think, but uh, that mentioned yeah, Harrison came up otherwise. Yeah, Harrison's and, um, positional value, I think, it is yeah. is good on Yahoo, which is just a little extra. You know, it's not it's not automatically a game changer, but it always helps. I think it's a little bit overrated in ten team leagues. That's completely fair. You're basically saying that you might have the eleventh best guy at a bunch of different positions and you could plug them in and get a little bit of something in each of those, but it's not the same as you, you know, you'd rather have a fourth best guy. Or, no, you know, I, I, I will, I will fully concede so, on that one. As much as I like the flexibility, it's so much less important in a 10 teamer. But what about the fact that, you know, Harrison's does have five stolen bases, which is the same as Billy Hamilton. I'm not saying that they have the same, <laughs> same, uh, you know, upside there. Definitely not. But career high for him is twenty five. If he so. if he can get if he can do thirty, 
which is obviously oh, he, has he has 30 do, in 2009 across three levels. He would have to do five a month, you know. So obviously, you have to kind of keep the pace that he's on. It's going to come with a hell of a lot better everything else than it is for Billy Hamilton, though, because Billy Hamilton only has a 215 average, 271 OBP. I mean, he still sucks. He still cannot hit. But the fact that he got five stolen bases, even with that ineptitude, tells you that any little hot streak and Hamilton's likely to get, you know, 10 steals in a month pretty easily. So I don't know. It, 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 you definitely want to try the two for one, but if you can't do it, I think it's definitely Herrera over Enciarte. Yeah. You know, I was asking if Harrison over Enciarte. Oh, 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 yeah. Okay, I was saying. I, uh, so like you're bringing well, – I, I will go with uh, Herrera over Enciarte, but if you're forced to bring Enciarte off the bench, do you drop Enciarte or – or, um, or Harrison. Harrison. That is and that is close. The weird thing about Harrison is he has, you know, in the good years, he's shown the ability to have a really high BABIP, uh, which has floated his batting average. But he's not going to help you in walks, and neither is really in Ciarte. No. So it's a question of, uh, you know, if we give them equal uh, batting average and on-base percentage, which I think we can sort of, yeah. except for the fact that, Harrison might hit the ball a bit harder. Well, Harrison's already doing it, which helps, but right. it still might not be movable. Again, a 10-team league, even with the 313 average and the five stolen bases already from Harrison, it just might not draw much on the market, so you might be forced to make that decision. I'm actually going to stay and Harrison. Should, you, yeah, you're going to say Harrison. Okay. But, it, but it is close. You did make me think about it. should steal more bases, I feel like. Who's that? Uh, in Sartre? Sartre, like, like at least a month ago, we would have all said Enciarte would steal more bases. That's so. true. That's true. He's got I, I, 20 per year in about 125 games per year these last two seasons for Enciarte. So if he plays the rest of the way, he should get another 20-25. Really, the question is how sticky stolen bases attempts are in season. And I think that Zimmerman has done that work. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, okay. All right. I think uh, – It's close. Uh, stolen bases in season. Yeah. You know what? I think there's something to be said for a guy who's doing it. You know, well, Because if you cut in Ciarte, he might stick on the wire for a little bit. Harrison, I think, would get picked up right away. Somebody's going to have a need at second, third, or outfield in the league um, it, it, to at least put him on their bench. So they might not want to trade for him, but they might know that, okay, well, she's just going to cut him anyway. I'll just wait to scoop him up. So throw in Ciarte out there if you can't make a move with him. Obviously, we're saying trade first. Then it's your decision between Harrison and Enciarte. For me, it's Harrison by a nose. Yeah, I'm finding some uh, research from Michael Barr saying that uh, stolen bases uh, fall off in the second half. Some of the top stolen bases guys um, fall off a little bit more. That explains some of those uh, special ones or some of those surprise guys from last year like Todd Frazier, Joey Votto, Chris Bryant. We we saw that big time with them in terms of the, the second half fall off. And Harrison yeah. could be a guy like that because he's not a pure burner. Like you said, he only has one 30, st- 30 uh, steal season, right? Yeah. And that was in the minors. Um, but I think the flexibility but it, is and enough. And Ciarte himself is only projected for 20, so Harrison can fall off and still fall off his pace and still still get pretty close to 20 the rest That's of the right. way. That's right. With, with the second and third base eligibility, which, again, is not as much use in a 10-teamer, but it is – it can be the it can be the deciding factor in this contest between NCR. Yeah. So I guess um, given your options, Ellen, uh, you're probably dropping NCR but uh, see how long you can put that off. Yeah. See how long you can put that off, and if you can't make a trade right now, 
just be aware that you're probably going to have to make a trade at some point this season. Now, it is head-to-head, so it is kind of the, the weekly situation, but you're just going to be just short in a lot of weeks, it seems. You know, if your competitors are getting 10 to 12 or you know around there you're going to you're going to have a lot of sixes and sevens and eights and i just i think you're going to want that one burner at some point i don't know that i would trade for hamilton but it, it's not a terrible idea especially in head to head cuz you can kind of cover the batting average piece and the and the guys we're talking about here are kind of fungible assets in a 10 in a 10 yes definitely definitely even none, especially none with the walks there. none of those guys there even as much as you might like Josh Harrison none of those guys are going to be top 5 in their position well, and, and the walks that you really need to get are top five because anything below that is below average in your league. Yeah, the walks actually hurt those guys too, you know, and that's why Herrera jumps to the four among those among that group. Right. Herrera's, a, Herrera's a clear winner there. Yeah. Harrison and, and Inciarte are not helped by that category to your point. So yeah, you're probably looking to trade those both those if you can package both of them for something that is the way to go as well, Ellen. So thank you for the email question again. Sleeperpod at gmail dot com. We will be getting at least one per per episode, and then we'll still have a mailbag episode at some point soon. Maybe Sunday's episode with Jason. We'll see how it goes. But hey, you know we got to get out of here. I know that uh, you know we're only in the middle of the week, but I know it's going to be in the blink of an eye. It'll be the weekend, and I'm off to Detroit this weekend, so I'm very excited to finally, I know this sounds crazy because I am a diehard fan and the park's been there for a long time. This is my first time to Comerica Park because I never go back home because my immediate family lives here and to hell with the rest of them. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, I just don't get up there except in the winter. It's usually for the winter holidays. So my sister and I decided, you know what, let's just bust out there, take in a couple games. And you know what, it's going to be great to see a team that I don't usually get to see. So guess what? I'm going to go see the Detroit Tigers versus the Texas Rangers. (laughs) <laughs> I'm able to see, never see those guys. literally anytime I want and I can see their triple A team anytime I want but that's all right it'll be interesting to see them in a different setting but the, the one bummer the one bummer about it is you Darvish going to be in Round Rock on Friday and I'm going to miss it so that's kind of hopefully he sticks around for a second turn and I'll be able to go to that game but I'm very I excited make some starts for Texas what's that I think he'll make some starts. I think so too, but I tell you what, getting to Round Rock, 35 minutes away, is a hell of a lot easier. easier. (laughs) Four hours away, so you know, I I I totally understand what you're saying there. But you know, we got to get out of here. We will talk next week. I hope you have a good weekend. And you too. And thanks for listening.